Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Welcome Thanks for joining me edition. on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're going to find out stories. about the American Forces Travel Program that's just been expanded. There's still plenty of summer left, and that means more heat. What about heat illnesses? We'll get the details. Winter, still not too far away, and that means that it could be time to get ready, especially if you're PennDOT, and they have some job openings they'd like you to fill. We're going to start off with a trip to summer camp. It's back at Camp Archbald. Emily Loder, the supporters of Camp Archbald Marketing and Communications Chair, is here to tell us what they're doing at camp now and how everyone can enjoy what they have to offer during the year. Emily, it was a while ago that we were going to be talking about Camp Archbald, but then we were interrupted. We were all on pause because of the pandemic. So now here you are again. Welcome. First, give us a little bit of background of Camp Archbald. Sure. Thanks for having me today. Uh, Camp Archbald is the second oldest Girl Scout camp uh, in the United States. It's in Kingsley. Uh, It started in 1920. And um, last year, we celebrated our our 100th anniversary for the camp. And um, we work with uh, the girls of Northeastern Pennsylvania and adults and the community to offer um, programming and overnight camp and opportunities for people to come and use uh, the property, not just for Girl Scouts, but for everybody to take advantage of this really fun and unique property. And there was a time, which is one of the reasons why we had chatted in the past, that there was a possibility that Camp Archbald might not exist anymore. What happened there? That's correct. Uh, the property is owned by Girl Scouts in the heart of Pennsylvania, and Camp Archbold, along with a couple of other properties, was under review um, for meeting certain benchmarks of making sure that we had um, enough money for the property through rentals and having you know people attend programming events. Uh, and so that was under three years, and so supporters of Camp Archbold was formed to kind of make sure that camp was saved and that those benchmarks were met, and we can continue to offer um, those opportunities to Girl Scouts and the community. And uh, last July, um, the Girl Scout Council decided that they um, that those benchmarks have been met and that they would um, like to save camp and to not offer it up for sale. And of course, we were overjoyed with that information. That's exactly what we were striving to do. Um, and so now that the camp has been saved, we put all of our time and effort into offering quality programming uh, and opportunities and helping to upkeep the property to make sure that it's around for the next 100 years. Well, you certainly have not missed a beat because I've <laughs> been checking out your website and you are packed with all kinds of stuff. So since this is Camp Archbald and you've mentioned Girl Scouts, do you have to be a Girl Scout to attend? 
Uh, some of the programs are specifically geared towards Girl Scouts. Um, like we might offer opportunities for them to uh, participate in, you know, learning about, you know, water or STEM programs. Um, but we also offer different opportunities uh, in the community as well. Like on August 8th, we'll be having an ice cream social, uh, which will include our general meeting in that. And that's open to the community and the public if they want to come to camp. Um, our 100th anniversary event on September 18th uh, is celebrating our 100 years of camp. And that is open to everybody uh, as well for them to come and learn what camp is, see, you know, vintage uniforms and photos. Uh, and so we truly offer opportunities for everybody in different capacities. Um, the main point of why Camp Archibald exists is to serve the girls. So we make sure that a lot of the focus of our programming is geared towards our current Girl Scouts. Um, but we also encourage our adults and our community members to participate as well. And you're actually in the midst of resident camp now? That's correct. Uh, Sunday was the first. Uh, week of resident camp. Um, SOCA offers two weeks of resident camp from Sunday to Friday. And so um, we have 174 girls total between the two weeks, which is uh, doubling our numbers from 2019, which is really awesome. Uh, And so we have the opportunity to serve uh, girls from four different states and about 12 different counties and uh, around Northeast PA and give them an opportunity to maybe come to camp for the first time or have been coming to camp, you know, for the last 10 years. Wow. That's amazing. Again, when I think of the last time that we spoke, everything was so up in the air. And now, as I said, you've really, you've really packed that calendar and you still have other events where again, anyone can come to, is that, is the kayaking still available? Yeah, that's a great opportunity for the community to get involved. Uh, Kayak for Camp will be on August 14th of this year. We'll be working with Susquehanna Kayak and Canoe Rentals. And it's a fundraiser for uh, for supporters of Camp Archibald. So we ask that anybody who wants to participate, they don't have to be a registered Girl Scout, um, can raise money, um, you know, from their family and friends or different businesses, you know, and get sponsored um, by them to raise money. Um, and then they can contact Susquehanna Kayak and Canoe Rentals and reserve their spot. And then that money that we raised uh, to participate goes towards, um, you know, lots of different things that SOCA does, you know, helping upkeep with the buildings. And you're not only, because when we think of camp, we think, well, once everybody goes back to school, everything's said and done and we close the books and we look on to next year. But you also have some things that are coming up into the fall uh, season. And are those also some available to the general public? Uh, we have different opportunities um, year-round uh, for, yeah, both girls and the public. Uh, the great thing about camp is that just because it's not summertime anymore doesn't mean that it's uh, closed down. Uh, camp has a variety of different buildings and facilities um, around the property that allow girls uh, to utilize it um, all year-round. So even if there's six feet of snow on the ground, uh, you know, and girls or troops want to come, you know, out and, you know, rent the buildings or make use of the camp, they can do that, which is, you know, something that everybody loves about camp is you you don't only get to enjoy it during the summer. But we have, uh, you know, general meetings, um, you know, our next general meeting 
and the fall will be October 10th, you know, that are always open to the public as well. Our general meeting in uh, December, we meet the second uh, Sunday every other month from 1.30 to 3. And um, that information is on our website, supportersofcamparchwalls.org, and which people can find events that are happening. And it gives all of the specifics for, uh, you know, what the cost is, where the location is, who it's open to, um, and, you know, and how they can participate, as well as our contact information if they have any questions. So what exactly is a SOCA member? Can you do that and then be able to get, go utilize the different facilities there? Uh, yeah, so this, uh, SOCA is our abbreviation for supporters of Camp Archibald. Um, there are people that help in a lot of different capacities. Um, by being involved with SOCA, you know, it could be volunteering your time. It could be making a donation. It could be... Um, working at, you know, some of the work days that we have to get camp ready. Uh, so anybody who wants to, you know, participate, um, if they're not specifically geared towards, uh, you know, programs that are only like for registered Girl Scouts, you know, then we open them up to, you know, SOCA members and, and their families to participate. Um, each program does say specifically who it's geared towards. Um, like if we you know, only want to serve, you know, our, our Daisy girls who are kindergartners and our first graders, then we may not necessarily open up that opportunity to the public because we want to make sure that we focus on giving those girls the chance to participate in that program. Um, like Trail Adventure Day in the fall is a perfect example of that. We want them to have use of the camp and um, earn their hiking badge and learn about that in the, in the, in the safety of being with other Girl Scouts around them at camp. Um, but we have, you know, other opportunities and programs, you know, for people who, you know, maybe might come out once a year or are, you know, are at every program each month, um, you know, they can participate in the capacity that they want to. And what caught my eye about that was the fall weekend, this not too long after the trail adventure that will be coming up. And that's open to SOCA members and their families. And you get to stay overnight. <laughs> Everybody loves staying overnight at camp because usually a campfire and some kind of more capacity is associated with overnight, which everybody always loves to do. Uh, so, you know, that is a great opportunity for people to come and enjoy all the fall colors at camp. You know, if they maybe want to get involved in a craft or if they just want to um, take a nice relaxing weekend to really enjoy the property, you know, without a bunch of chaos, um, you know, that's something they can do. And then we kind of plan some activities and if people want to participate, they can. If not, then they can do their own thing. Um, but it's a, a wonderful chance for um, camp to be continue to be used after summer. Now, you mentioned the 100th anniversary, and that was last year, which again, had to be kind of postponed because of everything else. So what is going to happen? Because I know just by looking at your calendar, you're making up for lost time. What do you have coming up? Uh, absolutely. On September 18th of this year, um, from 9 a.m. to about 6 p.m., uh, we're going to be offering an open house of activities to commemorate the 100th anniversary. Um Camp Archibald was founded in 1920, so 2020, we kind of kicked off our celebrations, um, you know, letting people know that we're at the 100th year mark, and 
we're really excited to, you know, kind of dig deep uh, back into history as to, you know, what was camp like in, in 1920? What was camp like in 1956? You know, and find some old photos and vintage uniforms and slides and, and show people, you know, you know, like camp cost, you know, six dollars, you know, in, in 1930, uh, which is a really big difference than today. Um, girls used to, you know, take the bus from Scranton and then walk, you know, like two miles to camp. Um, and so we re- have been really enjoying showing uh, the community all of those different things uh, that had happened at camp. And then on the 18th, we'll be having all of those displays available. Um, we'll be offering an opportunity for people to come back to camp for the day uh, and participate in, um, mo- you know, more modern activities like uh, like boating and archery and arts and crafts, uh, in addition to being able to check out all of those displays. And so we ask anybody that wants to come to register on our website, um, supportersofcamparchbold.org, for our event, More Fun at Camp Archbold, in which we'll have an opportunity to um, offer lunch if you choose. Um, we'll have an opening ceremony, and uh, people will be able to get to see the time capsule that was buried uh, in 2000. Uh, so we'll be digging that one up, and then we'll be burying a brand new time capsule um, in commemoration of the 100th anniversary. And I also would believe that you're looking for alum who have been there to maybe stop by and say hi? Yes, absolutely. If you were a camper at Camp Archbold, a counselor, you worked in the kitchen or the office or anything like that, uh, this event is open, um, you know, especially geared towards, you know, those people, but open to the general public and media as well. So uh, anybody that would like to attend, it's welcome to any and all people. We just have to you register um, by uh, August 15th. Now, one of the things I uh, looked at on your website is that the 100th anniversary, of course, has a 100th anniversary patch and a big shout out to Maddie O from Troop 5774 (laughs) for doing that. Very exciting. So they've been busy, even though Camp Archbald hasn't been hosting so many things. Everybody's still been busy behind the scenes. Yes, just because COVID happened doesn't mean that we stopped, um, you know, running things. We just made adjustments. So, you know, last year we weren't able to hold camp in person. So we switched it to virtual camp and we had about, I think, 65 girls attend. So we were still offer able to offer them programming. Uh, our patch in a box, you know, was it literally in a box, the supplies were in a box at camp. And so we switched that to being virtual as well so that people could still access the activities and learn about camp. Um, during a time when camp was closed, uh, you know, and now that a lot of, um, you know, places and, and opportunities are open back up again, you know, we can still have, you know, give girls access to when they go to camp, they can access those boxes to complete the patches um, and learn, you know, about camp as well, uh, instead of just kind of holding up, and, you know, and not letting anything happen. So we definitely you know, we're very busy behind the scenes during COVID to make sure that we can continue to offer, um, you know, programming to girls and education about camp and, and let people know what's going on. So if someone would like to utilize the camp at this point for something, maybe they want to have a uh, class outing or something like that, especially since there's still a lot of time left to be in outdoors or maybe even in the wintertime as well. Is that an option? 
for people or is it just more for your girls and the uh, the members of SOCA? Uh, facility reasons are open to the public uh, as well as our registered Girl Scouts. Uh, Girl Scouts in the heart of PA manages all of the facility rentals and you can contact them. Uh, their website is gshpa.org uh, and they handle the, the facility rentals. So if even if someone is not a registered Girl Scout, they can still contact them to utilize any of the space uh, on the property, you know, for, you know, you know, a, a field trip or a business outing or, or anything like that. Um, if they reach out to SOCA, you know, we can answer questions about the property and maybe help direct them towards which particular space they would want to use so that they know that when they're ready to make that reservation, you know, they're already, uh, they've already learned about it ahead of time so that they could just say, oh, I want this one instead of kind of just looking at the whole map like, hmm, which one should I choose? So SOCA kind of provides that information to uh, the public or, you know, or anybody that has questions about the facilities. Wow. And what a facility it is. How many acres? Uh, we're at 144 uh, acres with um, eight units around camp. Wow. Uh, including the use of Ely Lake, which is and permits a lot of different natural opportunities for uh, water projects and, uh, you know, fishing and boating and um, all sorts of uh, amazing uh, natural activities. All right. Well, I'm certainly glad to have you back, Emily. It was uh, it was hit or miss there for a while. I'm glad everything turned out because that means that we will be able to get to chat more about all the things. So now before I let you go, let's make sure that everybody knows about what's coming up and where they can find all of that information, websites, phone numbers, you name it, you've got it anytime you're ready. <laughs> awesome. So uh, registration for our, our 100th anniversary event, More Fun at Camp Archibald, can be found on our website, supportersofcamparchibald.org slash more fun. Uh, registration will be open until August 15th. Um, if people have questions, they can email us at centuryteam4soka at gmail.com. Or if they want to uh, register by phone, they can give me a call at 570-780-2538. And the event is open to uh, everyone that's, you know, the general public, community members, no matter where you live uh, or have been to Camp Archibald or not and just want to come out and see, we would love to have you. That's Emily Loader, supporters of Camp Archbald Marketing and Communications Chair, telling us about what's happening at camp now and how everyone can enjoy what they have to offer during the year. Of course, if you would like to find out more information, you can go to supportersofcamparchbald.org, and that also includes the information on their upcoming 100th anniversary celebration. Now, don't go away. When we come back, yes, summer's still in full swing, but winter's right around the corner. We'll tell you who's hiring next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. There's plenty of summer left, but winter is right around the corner and... PennDOT is getting ready. Jessica Ruddy, Community Relations Coordinator for PennDOT District 4, has details on job openings that they would like to fill for the upcoming season. And it's not all out on the road, clearing the roads from the snow. PennDOT is currently looking for winter maintenance help 
we are hiring now in order to get prepared for the winter. And we're looking for good, hardworking individuals who are dependable that are looking for a career opportunity because these jobs right now are only temporary. But if you're a great employee, then they can become a career. What are some of the positions? Because I immediately think, oh, you need people to drive the snowplow. But I have a funny feeling that it's just a lot more than that. Absolutely. We're looking for custodial workers, stock clerks, radio dispatchers. We are looking for transportation equipment operators, which require a CDL, diesel and construction equipment mechanics. So there's, there's a lot of different positions for a variety of people. When you talk about these positions, again, it, it almost sounds like they are specialized because, as you said, you have to have a CDL for some. And But are there positions there that maybe people would have background in that they might be able to fit in? Sure. Yes. We're looking for semi-skilled laborers, uh, tradesmen, helpers, welders. So we, we have a variety of positions with a variety of skill levels available. Now, when it comes to doing all of these different positions, as you said, it's temporary. So it kind of is in the winter time. But that means that they might be able to go into later on? Absolutely. If they're dependable, hardworking, and they do their job well, we'll, we'll definitely find a place to put these people in. And it'll be a longevity position, something that they can retire on. It's a PennDOT's a great organization to work for. On your website, you have a video and you're actually talking with someone who is already working or has been working for PennDOT. Being a snowplow driver, it is an important job. For me, it was a career changer. It changed my life. I've been here two and a half years now, and I'm now an active foreman for my stockpile. So the opportunities for PennDOT for advancement are available. I would encourage people to apply. We need the drivers. So I began here as a temp, eventually got hired on as a TEOA operator. I worked the TEOA position for a couple years, got certified on some equipment, and I moved into a TEOB position. Eventually applied for a Highway Foreman 2 position and worked the Foreman 2 position for four years. And now I am a Highway Assistant Maintenance Manager, and I absolutely love this job. There's definite growth here within the department, from a temp to an assistant. That was thanks to a lot of good people, operators, good management. It's like family here. It really is. We all help each other out. I seriously do not know where I would be without this job. And this job has supported me and my daughter for many years. It's a great place to work. Thanks again to PennDOT for allowing us to use that clip of Mike Gonzalez and Mindy Grigo on their website explaining about PennDOT jobs. Give us a little bit of the background of what some of these positions, because as this gentleman, give us a little bit of the background. Are there certain hours or for someone who isn't familiar with working with someplace like PennDOT, it's not nine to five. No, PennDOT is at the mercy of Mother Nature, so we are a 24-7 operation, so the hours do vary. It does require weekends and holidays, but we try to treat our employees well and give them breaks as we can, but we we are a 24-hour operation. And seven days a week, including holidays. See, that's why I said the hotter it gets, the the less chance of snow. And (laughs) when when we're talking about that, how can someone go on to apply now? Where would they go? 
they can go onto our website, pendot.gov. And we also have, it's called www.governmentjobs.com, where you can find um, the application. You do it online from the comfort of your home, from your computer. Also, Tuesday, August 17th, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., anyone interested can go to any of our county offices in our six counties from 9 until 12 to get assistance filling out the application online if they don't have a computer or internet access or if they're just not computer savvy. We're happy to help. They can also call PennDOT and request assistance any other day that is convenient for them. I'm looking right now at the uh, governmentjobs.com site and it brings up all of the different positions that are available. And again, there are some of them that do have requirements, as you mentioned, the the CDL uh, for some of them, the others, uh, well, even just as much as a Pennsylvania driver's license. Right. Yes. As I said, some of the positions do, do have requirements and skill levels, but we also have entry-level positions. If you're a good, hardworking individual, please apply. If you're looking to come into the state system, it's a great opportunity right now. Now, that's an interesting point because a lot of people might think, well, PennDOT, I could end up just about anywhere. So if you apply for an area here in Northeast Pennsylvania, is that a possibility? Absolutely. You can move around in the state system when, when you are in it. And you can check out that government job website at any time to see what positions are available in either your county or state level also. So if someone did decide they wanted to do this and they could put in that they want to be in Lackawanna, Luzerne, Monroe, uh, a certain area so that they're not traveling to get to Pittsburgh in order to do anything. Right. Yeah, you can you can filter it by county. You can filter it by job. You can put in keywords maybe for whatever position you're looking for. Then I'll just turn it over to you. You tell us what you're looking for, how people find you, and then again mention that date that's coming up on the 17th of August in case anyone would. And how fast do people really need to start to apply for these things? Well, we're looking for people as soon as possible. Uh, The positions actually start in September, but we have positions that are available immediately also. They can go on to www.governmentjobs.com or they can call us at 570-963-4061 and you can either ask for maintenance or human resources. The positions are transportation equipment operators, diesel and construction equipment mechanics, auto mechanics, semi-skilled laborers, tradesmen helpers, welders, radio dispatchers, custodial workers, and stock cooks currently in our district is what we're looking for. And again, August 17th from 9 until 12, they can go to either PennDOT and Dunmore or any of our county offices and someone will be there to assist them to fill out the application. And when you say county offices, do you mean county offices as in Lackawanna, Luzerne, Monroe, Pike, or do you mean the PennDOT facilities where you get your picture taken for your driver's license? No, these would be our PennDOT district offices, our maintenance offices in the six counties, which include Lackawanna, Luzerne, Pike, Susquehanna, Wayne, and Wyoming counties. All right. And Jessica, if you had to pick a good number of people, how many do you think that you would like to see come through the doors between now and when it starts in September, just to give people an idea that this just isn't for, well, we need two people here and a person there. Do you have an idea 
between all of those positions? The more, the better. We'd love to hire up 100 people and get 100 people to stay and work with us at PennDOT. Thanks again to Jessica Ruddy, Community Relations Coordinator for PennDOT District 4. And of course, you can get all the details by going to PennDOT.gov or governmentjobs.com. Now stay with us on Special Edition. Coming up next, we're going back to summer and there's still chance for more heat. So we'll have some tips on heat-related illnesses. And we're also going to find out about the American Forces Travel Program. That's next on Special Edition. Next on Special Edition, when the temperature goes up, heat illnesses increase. Dawn Webster, physician's assistant with MedExpress, has what you need to know. Dawn, we're in the midst of summer and a lot of people getting outdoors. Let's start off with things, especially since it's been so hot. Let's talk about some general water safety tips. What do you have for us? Sure. So with water safety, um, the most important thing, I think, is to really stress how important it is to teach people and children how to swim. Um, If you don't know how to swim, even if you plan on never going in essentially the deep end of the pool, you can still drown. And one of the reasons people drown is because they panic because they know they don't know how to swim. So if you're an adult, that isn't comfortable swimming or you have children that aren't comfortable swimming, get some swimming lessons, learn the basics, learn the fundamentals. That is truly the most important. And then after that, you still have to be very cautious, especially in um, public pools or pools that have a lot of toys in them or water parks with a lot of kids. But truly the basics is learning how to swim, being comfortable with swimming, and then just being super vigilant when watching children or people in the pool that don't know how to swim and really knowing what to look for in terms of drowning doesn't always look like someone just falling underwater. A lot of times it can look like kids having fun and splashing and you just really have to pay attention and watch them and make sure that you're seeing them comfortable and able to take breaths. When you're talking about that as well, getting swimming lessons is an excellent idea. But what about some of the other things that come with that? Um, Other things that you might want to tell children, such as not go swimming alone? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, a good rule of thumb is children any age should not be allowed anywhere near a pool if an adult is not with them. Um, even if they're teenagers, teenagers can still drown. So, you know, nowhere near the pool or nowhere near the water if an adult is not with them and watching them. If they're not a strong swimmer, you want to enforce rules that they always have some type of, you know, puddle jumper or, or floaties or something on to help them stay afloat, even when you are watching them with your eyes on them. And then, of course, even with adults, And I know I'm one of them who doesn't know it, CPR. Right. Yes. So when you start CPR on a drowning victim, the sooner you start it, the better um, in terms of them living, avoiding any type of long-term brain damage. So it really is important for everyone to learn CPR, especially if you're going to be watching people around the pool or you have a pool or you're going to be vacationing with a pool. Since we're getting things cooled off and because it has been, the heat has been on 
in a lot of areas across the country, especially in our area. And sometimes people don't respect it because they don't think anything can ever happen to them. But I'm going to guess that you're going to tell me that's not true. So talking about heat-related illnesses, um, the most dangerous one is heat stroke. So this one is actually life-threatening, and it so it's the most serious. And this occurs when the body can't control its temperature. The sweating mechanism fails. This is typically um, seen, you know, after the other ones we're going to talk about. But this one, what you're going to see is a super high body temperature, 103 degrees or higher. But obviously, you're not going to be checking someone's temperature if you come across someone who, you know, is outside and they've lost consciousness. Um, A lot of times before they lose consciousness, they'll feel dizzy, um, they'll feel nauseated, they'll have some confusion, headaches, and a lot of times their skin is hot to the touch. And when you find someone that you suspect this, you want to call 911. You don't want to give them anything to drink. You want to try to move them to a cool area. You can put wet towels or put them in a cool bath um, if it's a child. But you, you don't want to give them anything to drink. It can induce vomiting and make the whole situation worse. But you want to try to lower their body temperature um, if you can by, you know, putting them in cool water or wetting their skin or even, you know, using a water bottle to kind of help wet them. And that's the most serious and, and also probably, you know, not as common as the other two we're going to talk about. And with someone who is having heat stroke, what would what would have brought that on? The fact that they were just doing too much in the heat or could it be that medically their body just doesn't relate well to heat? How does how would someone know? So if you're outside and you start to feel thirsty, you're already dehydrated. So number one is paying attention to your body. But number two, if someone's drinking or they're under the influence of um certain medications or, or even, you know, illicit drugs, they're not going to pay attention. They, they may not realize how hot they are until it's too late. And once they are dizzy and confused, they may not be able to get inside. So it, it, can, it can, do, can have to do with medications, alcohol, also the extremes of age. So babies and, and elderly people, this can happen to them much more quickly than it would a young, healthy adult. That can also, when you mentioned that with heat stroke, can that also happen with heat exhaustion or any of the other heat-related illnesses, or is that pretty much it can? Okay. And what are some of the other heat-related illnesses? Sure. So some of the milder ones, we have heat exhaustion, and that's essentially the milder form of heat stroke. So that is, um, you know, essentially the same thing, high temperature for too long of a time, not enough fluids. And this, again, we typically see more in the elderly people, and they're going to be sweating. Um, they may also have nausea, vomiting. A, um, their pulse may feel weaker, um, fast. They may also have dizziness and headache, but typically they are not starting to lose consciousness yet. So they, and they also um, typically are a little bit more oriented. So you can, you know, help them up, move them inside. You know, it's not someone who who's already passed out or lost consciousness. And then we move on to cramps. Yes, heat cramps. So these are muscle pains um, or spasms. 
And these occur a lot of times with people who are outside doing yard work in the heat. So when you're sweating too much and you're depleting the body's minerals like salt, you're going to get cramping. So these people typically have been sweating for a long time, haven't drank um, much water at all or just a little bit, and, and they start having cramps. And they typically are able to recognize you know, my legs are cramping up or my stomach's cramping up. And so they can go inside and, and drink water or sports drinks like Gatorade or Pedialyte, things that will help replace their, their minerals and electrolytes in their body. How much water is enough water? Oh, that's a good question. So it depends on a lot of factors. It depends on your body weight, your body mass. It depends on what medications you take, if you have any underlying conditions like congestive heart failure. So that really is something that's completely dependent by the person. But I would say a good rule of thumb is, um, you know, for a young, healthy person who doesn't have any other underlying conditions, a bottle of water every two hours. If you could, you know, drink that bottle of water every two hours, you're in great shape. Okay. And then, of course, there's heat rash. And that can look like so many different things from, well, I thought it was just a plain old bug bite to, I, you know, maybe I ran into poison ivy. How do you know? Sure. So um, it, it is hard to know. A lot of times it's not itchy. It's just kind of irritated. It may be painful. But these are typically little blisters, um, which, just like you said, can look like poison ivy. And these are typically on the areas of skin that are either exposed to the sun, like the neck or chest, or that are very hot, like the creases of your elbows or your groin. And with these, you know, these aren't necessarily dangerous Um but you do want to try to use um, like a powder to soothe them and keep that area dry. And you want to try not to scratch at them or kind of irritate them because then they can get infected and then that does become, you know, more of a problem. And you mentioned earlier being dehydrated. How would someone know that they're dehydrated? Sure. So um, one of the ways you know is you feel thirsty. So typically if you feel thirsty, you're already starting to get dehydrated. Now, um, when you're sick, um, when we're looking at sick patients, trying to assess if they're dehydrated, there are certain things that we look for. So um, when you're dehydrated, a lot of times your pulse is faster than normal. So a rapid pulse is, is a, one of the indications. Um, a dry tongue, if you look in someone's mouth, instead of looking moist, a lot of times it will look dry. And then people can also actually look at their pee. If their pee is darker or has more of an odor than normal, a lot of times that's because it's very concentrated due to the dehydration. Okay. Now, before I wrap things up with you about summer, what would be some of the things from our conversation today that you would like to leave with our listeners so that they enjoy the rest of the summer season? Sure. So, um, Really, in terms of everything we touched on today, prevention is best. So with water safety, knowing how to swim, making sure your children know how to swim. And then even when they do know how to swim and they're comfortable, still keeping an eye on them, making sure they know to never, ever go near the water without adults present. Um, in terms of the heat illnesses, you know, drink water before you go outside. Make sure you have that water with you. If you start to feel thirsty or warm or dizzy, get inside. It doesn't matter if the grass is only halfway cut. Go inside, cool down, drink some water before anything worsens. 
thanks again to Don Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress, with everything to keep you safe for the remainder of this summertime season, especially when the heat is on. And Don also reminds you that if you have any concerns, your best course of action to call 911. How about some travel? For the first time, 16 million U.S. veterans are granted exclusive travel benefits. In recognition of their service, the Department of Defense and Priceline have expanded the American Forces Travel Program. To tell us all about it, Megan Riston. She's the travel associate for American Forces Travel Program. Megan, you're going to tell us about American Forces Travel and their announcement today. First of all, give us the background. What is American Forces Travel? So American Forces Travel is this really robust website where you can get discounts on leisure travel. It's exclusive to the military community. It was created by Priceline in partnership with the Department of Defense. And the site allows its users a super fast way to find the very best deals. And when you're talking the Armed Forces community, Do people have to be currently involved? Can they be veterans? Who would be eligible? So the program initially launched in 2019, and at that time, it was only for active duty military and retirees. But as of today, they've expanded the program to include all honorably discharged veterans. That means 16 million more people can now have access to the website. Wow. Now, when you're talking the website, what are they going to find when they get there? Because you would not normally think military travel would have a website because a lot of times the military are provided all of the information. But this sounds to be a little bit different. So how does that work? So that's why it's so great, because you can literally find all the deals in one spot. When you go to the website, you're going to find savings of up to 40 to 60% off of all types of leisure travel. That includes hotels, car rentals, vacation packages. It even includes airfare. Just last week, I picked a plane ticket last minute to go see my new newborn niece. And so I was able to save a couple hundred bucks. And that is really the great quality about the website is because it's all right there. And so people can register at AmericanForcesTravel.com. And it's going to ask them some verification questions like their social security number, their date of birth, and their last name. It only takes a couple of seconds for the uh, program to verify you because it is in conjunction with the Department of Defense. And once you're verified, you can start using it right away and you can start scrolling through the deals. One really neat feature is that they've got hundreds of hotels participating that accept the military star card. And what is that? That's a, that's a special credit card exclusive to the military community. Uh, so somebody would already have that? available to them? No, so this is actually something different, um, but it's not something that has been able to be used to book hotels before. So that's kind of the really neat feature with this website is that there there are so many of the hotel brands willing to accept that particular card. Megan, what's your background? I was an Air Force wife for a decade and a half. And then you got into travel? We kept getting stationed in kind of touristy locations. And I, I started a blog and It basically turned into travel because, again, we're getting stationed in Las Vegas, Panama City Beach, all these tourist destinations. So as I wrote about them, more and more people started reading it and kind of expanded from there. That's a pretty good way to get involved. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of times it can be for a military spouse to get a job. So creating a blog was kind of my way of 
creating my own job. Well, talk about being able to relate to people who, because again, like I said, a lot of times with the military, you don't necessarily think that they would have those kind of travel concerns because especially when you're, but I guess that maybe they do because it must be taking families too in their off time. Well, yeah. And when you think about it, I mean, most people are stationed nowhere near where they live. So just for them to get to go home and visit their parents is a substantial trip. And congratulations on your uh, your new niece. And Oh, thank you. What about people who don't really have a lot of experience, let's say booking flights, booking things like that? Is it easier? Does this make it a little bit easier or a lot of people don't like to do things like that online? So, yeah, so it actually did make it a lot easier. I um, So my sister ended up having an emergency C-section and so... It is a very last minute plane ticket to book. And I was combing through different websites and I thought, oh my gosh, I need to go log in on the uh, American Force of Travel website to see if they have a better deal. And what's really neat is that it, it combs through all the different deals and it ended up combining two one-way tickets to make a round trip ticket. And that's how I was able to save uh, a little over 200 bucks off. So it was super easy to use. You could filter it just like any other website where you could put in you know, times you want to fly, times you don't want to fly. You can sort it by price, you can sort it by airline, you can sort it by connection. So it's a really versatile site. It's super easy to use. Is there anyone who, if you did have questions to help you while you are going through the booking process for anything, whether it's flights, resorts, whatever it might be? Basically, all the information you need is right there on the site, which is AmericanForcesTravel.com. And they have a frequently asked question section and it basically answers every single question you could think of. When you're talking about, uh, again, all of the people who are able to use this particular site, there's a lot of them. Is this something brand new that maybe they don't even know exists or has it been revamped, upgraded to give them better service? When it launched, the service was really robust to begin with, um, and it still is. The big biggest change is that they're allowing so many more people to have access to it. I see that because I, as I was looking at the site, it's, it's not only people who are with the American Red Cross, the USO. Um, there's, there's just so many on there, so you'd really have to log on and get a get an idea because when you say um, military service members, aside from current active duty members, I didn't expect even those who are members of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Yeah. So anyone that basically has anything to do with the United States Armed Forces at this point has access to the website. That's really great. So if someone, again, is interested in learning about this, about the program, and it's also it's also supported by Priceline. So they seem to have a, a pretty good background in all of this. So I'm sure that must help. Oh, yes. It helps tremendously because they have the technology to, you know, really get the site running. And they've been able to negotiate these exclusive deals for the military community. And, yeah, it's just been a really great partnership and really cool that they expanded it to the veterans because so oftentimes, they don't get some of the benefits that the active duty or the retirees would get. And so this is a huge step forward in getting veterans more benefits. That's awesome. Anything we can do to help our veterans is always wonderful to be able to get the word out about. So again, what's the website, Megan? And um, what else do people need to know about it? So it's AmericanForcesTravel.com. 
And when you get there, you're just going to register. And it really takes no time at all. It's going to ask you just a tiny bit of information. And once you're in the website, you'll be able to book right then and there. Um, it's super easy to use. So I think, I think people will really, really enjoy using it. Excellent. And uh, does the little new one have a name? Everly. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thanks. And she's my fifth niece. I have no nephews, only nieces. I, sometimes that could be a good thing or a bad thing. It depends on it depends on which way you're going to look at it. Make, it's been really fun so far. So, Well, as, as long as they're healthy and happy, that's all that matters. And especially if they have an aunt who can get them into some good travel deals, they've got a lot to look forward to. That's true. I better be their favorite aunt. (laughs) (laughs) If they're going to go anywhere. You're mine. I'll go along. Megan, thank you so much. Sure enough. You have a wonderful day and happy travels. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.